Find the highest peak on this planet, Mount Everest. And you are kind of got the first third done. And it's been misty. There have been little squalls of weather that has beat it in your face. But you kept going. You know you're not to where it's going to get really hard yet. Probably pretty icy. And you reach a small plateau, and as you do, the sky clears for a little for a little bit. It's been cloudy and foggy, and, and there had been some, some rain that had beat around you. And you look around, and you look up, and on the face of the part where it starts to get steep, the cliffs, you see a large hiking party ahead of you some ways. They must have been going a few hours uh, before you. They've already came, come to that difficult part. And they appear that they're on their way up to the top. And uh, you can see their red jackets against the, the snow and ice on the cliffs. And you take out your binoculars and you get a closer look and you bring them into focus. And you see a little glint of light uh, from this uh, company of expeditioners. And you figure out that what you see is the glint of the sunlight on their ice picks, their ice axes. They knew they needed them to get up that particular part. And you have yours in your pocket. <clears throat> but as you look ahead through your binoculars to them carving into the cliff with their ice axes, heading up the cliff, not without difficulty, but with surety, you know that you're going to need that ice pick. You know that uh, uh, as you get closer to where they are, that the ice pick is going to become more and more important to you. And that's kind of where we are in the book of Hebrews. We've reached a plateau here, and the writer is now bringing us to an excellent view of climbers who have gone on ahead with the ice pick of faith. That ice pick, that ice axe, is going to be all important. In fact, you needed it all along, but you didn't realize how much you need it till you get to that cliff. And that ice axe is, go- is going to be the way, through, that ice axe representing faith is going to be the way that takes that, that took that first expedition and is going to take you along behind them to the peak, and the peak here is not the peak of Mount Everest, but it's the heavenly city. And that great company who has gone ahead of us is the list of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 who had one thing in common. They had a variety of trials, they had a variety of temptations, they had a variety of persecutions and troubles, but they had one thing, they had all had the same tool to get through it. And it is the ice axe embedded in the promises of God to pull them up. Hebrews 11 gives us two things that go together. There is a description of faith in the first uh, 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 several verses, seven verses or so, which is what the pickaxe is. The ice axe, which is what believers need. And there is also a brief history of God's people as an illustration of this faith.
particularly focusing on the key figures in the early part of Israel's history before they became a great nation, Abraham and Isaac and Sarah, Moses. And then the story continues into the next chapter, bringing the people he's writing to, bringing them uh, into the writer's own time. And it reaches its climax with Jesus in chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. And then tells the readers to live within God's great promises for themselves. The background of this chapter is kind of, we kind of miss it because the chapters and verses have been added. When the, old, when, the, when the scriptures were written, they weren't written in chapters and verses. They were written as just one lump of material. This particular letter, this particular letter. And chapters and verses were added about a thousand years after the um, last um, uh, verse of the New Testament was, was read by, by individuals who have been helpful in helping us know how to find things. But one of the obstacles is you miss kind of the flow if you only see it in chunks and chapters. And where we left off last week in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews has already urged the listeners to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised. He has already listed Abraham as as an example for the Christian community. Perseverance has been a theme all throughout in chapter 10, verse 36 through 39. Uh, Endurance and faith, need for faith is laid out. And he has taken a verse from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. I explained the context of that last year. In chapter 10, verse 38. And he, uh, and he has said, The just shall live by faith. That's the mark of the righteous. The just shall live by faith. And let me take you back here um, to last week a little bit and help you remember what was going on. There were Christians that were imprisoned. There were others that had made a hard decision to identify with them. They had risked their property. They had risked their lives. Verse 34 of chapter 10 says, You had compassion of me and my bonds, took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. And that's the kind of light, how, what he describes right there, that is the kind of light the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews is aiming to produce. A life that looks at the high price of loving God. Perhaps it's a seizure of property. Perhaps some other kind of abuse or, or trial. Um, uh, perhaps in chapter 13, verse 3, it's imprisonment, remembering bonds. But in spite of that, accepts the possibility of joy in all of that. And it does what love for God demands no matter what. That's the life that the book of Hebrews is pushing the readers toward. And he has laid out the glorious truths we've seen about Christ that I've already mentioned. And all this truth that we have been soaking in since January, or the end of uh, 2015, actually, last year, uh, is aimed practically at making us this kind of people who don't fall away when things fall apart. People who risk everything in order to bring the love of God to others. People who do not look for comforts and ease and securities as the most necessary thing in life. 
People who are free from our assumptions of style and safety and wealth and leisure as what drives us. People who know there is only one life to live and only what's done in the name of Christ and for the eternal good of others is what counts in the end. And that's what he has talked about over and over again and told them not to cast away their confidence. Not to leave it behind. Not to go away. And chapter 10, verse 38, not to draw back because the just, the righteous ones, they live by faith. Not to fall away. And in verse 39, he has said something significant to them. He says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, unto eternal damnation, destruction. But we are of them, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So now he's going to talk about believing. This isn't anything new. He's talked about unbelief already, hasn't he? In chapter 3, he talked about the unbelief of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, failed miserably in the wilderness and warned them about the seedfulness of unbelief and the, and the drastic consequences that follow that. And so in chapter 11, he gives us a very carefully constructed um, part of the letter that's bound by two bookends. And the two bookends are in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 11 and then verses 39 and 40. By the expressions of by faith which you see repeated throughout the whole um, uh, chapter. And then, a good report. By faith, a good report. Now, I think all of us desire to stand before the Lord and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is the good report, isn't it? That is the good report. But how does that happen? God does not just save us down here and go, Alright, you're up in heaven with me now, does He? He puts us through the fire to make us more and more like His Son. And that is how we receive the good report. Through faith in His enduring and visible promises. And I don't know where your faith particularly today for you has been shaken. But I trust by the end of this message, as we look into the outstanding concrete promises of God and the faith that we are to exercise in them, that you'll be stronger than you were before you came by the Holy Spirit's work. This passage here, it's no secret that it is the theme of faith. The word faith appears 24 times. In fact, 10% of all the times the word faith is in the New Testament is right here in this chapter. Pretty key. And then the examples that he gives are set in history. You'll find there's an order to them. It gives an outline of, of God's uh, grace uh, uh, until at last in Jesus, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the completer of our faith, appears. We've already had the bad... Examples of faith, lack of faith in Hebrews 3, chapters 7 through 19. Now we have the positive examples whose faith should be imitated. Here's what we need to understand as we look into verses 1 through 3. This is not a definition of faith. He's not interested in defining faith. He's interested in describing faith, and there's a difference. This is not the full definition of faith. You put the whole New Testament together, you get the full de definition of faith. But this is a description of what real faith is. 
It's not an exhaustive treatment of what faith is. But it shows some character of what faith looks like. Faith and action. And so the title of this morning's sermon is Active Faith. As part one of our series, Faith is Greater Than Fear. Have you noticed that your media loves to motivate you by fear? The stories that are selected, the spin that's on those stories, we call it hype. Really what it is, is fear. Fear. Because the devil came to steal and to kill and to destroy. Those are fearful things. That's how he operates. But that should not describe the righteous ones. That did not describe the just. We are not a people of fear. And I think the church has for too long cowered in fear. We are the people of faith. As you look at these examples of these Old Testament saints, you're going to see that they had a choice between fear and cowering or faith. But let's look in the faith here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe in this passage we see this morning that we have a faith that is certain. Faith that is certain. There is an internal certainty. He says faith is the assurance, the substance, the assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. There's different ways the Bible uses faith. It can use it as a, as, a, as, a, as a verb. It can use it as a noun. We talk about faith as an object. We talk about the faith, right? The Christian faith, the whole body of truth uh, of, of Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, that, that, that consolidates it. The Old Testament builds towards and points to. But here in this verse, he says, substance, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hoped for. That word hope, in our day and age, has kind of a Disney World connotation. When you wish upon a star. Wishful thinking. Uh, it has the connotation of, 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 of someone who is just a, a positive person all the time. Very optimistic, right? The glass is always half full. That's, that's a hopeful person. That's not what this scripture describes hope. Hope is an internal certainty of an unseen reality. An internal certainty of an unseen reality. It is something that is absolutely certain. <coughs> certain. Excuse me. <coughs> Even though you can't see it with your eyes. This is all throughout this book, if you go with me. and I'm on, <coughs> I'd like to trace this out, excuse me. Chapter 3 and verse 6. Chapter 3 and verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of, notice he says, the, definite article, the hope, firm, until the end. Chapter 6 and verse 11. <clears throat> 
And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In other words, there is a point in time, actually probably outside, outside of our um, time, where our hope is not just a hope anymore. It's not just faith exercising something. It's reality. It's reality. I was talking to a dear man this week who has had some difficulties this past year, to say the least. And he said, I cannot wait for the resurrection. That is somebody who is certain of the resurrection. He did not say, boy, it'd be nice if that resurrection thing was really true, wouldn't it? He says, I cannot wait for that day. There's a certainty of God's promises. Go to chapter 6 and verse 18. That by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Chapter 7 and verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. He's talking about faith. The access to God. Chapter 10 and verse 23. One of the more fresher verses on our minds. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Hold fast to that hope. It's connected to divine promises. Uh, God's hope. An inheritance that's yet to be obtained. Things hoped for. They include the world to come. They include the great Sabbath rest in chapter 4. They include an eternal inheritance. The, the heavenly Jerusalem. And an unshakable kingdom. And the writer of Hebrews says, set your eyes on that. And you can get through your circumstances. Because there is a greater lasting reward for hope. So faith is certain of God's promises. And the second point is this, and and there's a little overlap here. Faith is convinced of God's promises. Convinced of God's promises. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. There, this, is, this, is, this is very similar to the certainty, but there's a little different nuance. A little different nuance here. The understanding of things not seen. I think you, you get an idea as you look into these people's lives. For example, let's look at Noah, verse 7. Noah. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Now what did God warn Noah that Noah had never seen? Well, the Genesis, Moses tells us in Genesis that uh, Noah had never seen rain. The world had never seen rain. And God tells him to build an ark. And he's the dry dock, that thing. Because there hadn't been rain. The earth was watered in a different way. And he builds that thing for 120 years. 
So Noah is warned of God, there's a flood coming and here's how you can escape it. And he moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the way, she condemned the world because the world said, you're nuts. It's crazy. God doesn't know what he's saying. And no one in his family were rescued. He became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Noah believed God. And the things that are not seen in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the, the evidence of things not seen, are realities that you haven't viewed yet, but will be in the future. How could Moses, in these verses, take the reproach of Christ and say, I'm going to hold that in high esteem over riches in Egypt? Can you imagine the riches he would have had as being the adopted son of Pharaoh and perhaps the most powerful empire in the world? He could have received anything he wanted, right? But he chose to identify with God and his purposes with his people Israel. And he held that in higher value. Higher value. Why? Why? Well, the Bible tells us. Why? In chapter 11, verse 26, it says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Here's why. For he had respect or honor unto the recompense of the reward. He saw that all the things that Egypt could provide... We're like this. And all the riches of reward for living for the glory of God were like this. That's the difference. He was absolutely convinced. And faith is convinced of God's promises. So there's a little mental part to this, isn't there? This is a renewing of your mind and your thinking. And when I am walking through the fire, when I am walking through the testing of God, my mind needs to be renewed in the truths that, number one, this is temporary, though it is hard. But number two, what God rewards for walking by faith through this is far greater than anything that can be assailed against me, than anything that can keep me down. Faith is convicted. It is convinced of God's promises. Thirdly, faith is committed to God's promises. Look in verse... I, I think this is fascinating. There's a lot packed in this verse. For by it... The elders or the ancients, our ancestors, obtained a good report. It's for one. It's one thing for me to say, you know what? I am certain. I am convinced. That chair is going to hold me up. But it's not quite being committed to it, is it? It's one thing for me to be lost in the woods and have a, a friend with me <clears throat> who says he knows the way out. And for me to say, all right, I trust you. 
I'm convinced you know the way to get us out of these woods. And to stand there while he goes on. Commitment doesn't go like this. Commitment takes the next step. And I fear that there are professions of faith that are not committed. True, righteous faith is a faith that is committed to God's promises. Faith is committed to God's promises. Notice what it says. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report. They were not just convinced. They were not just certain. They were not just absolutely convicted by the truth that this is real. Intellectually, they were committed to it. They put it into practice. They lubricated the engine of their life in God with the oil of faith and they operated by it. It affected what God placed them in, what God tested them with, what the trials they were, uh, were affected by. It, it made a difference. They obtained a good report. And as I mentioned, these two verses are the bookends of the chapter. And if you look at the end of the book, and verse 38, it says, Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in day, dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, It happened. It happened. And this was all before the New Testament in Jesus, the full full promise. We can look back and see what God has done in Jesus. They had to look forward in absolute faith. And we have to look back in faith as well. But it's already happened. It's happened. And they received a good report. So you know what these verses tell us? There is no reason... On Judgment Day, when we stand before God, that we have to give a bad report. There is no reason any of us cannot hear, Well done, thou good and full of faith, servant. You've served me. But do you remember when Jesus gave the parable about the uh, the stewards he left behind with different quantities, and and uh, then he, the steward came. Uh, the, the, the master came back and asked for a report back from the stewards and, and, um, and one guy took ten and he multiplied it one guy took a few less but he multi- multiplied it and one guy had some that was given to him and he buried it and did nothing with it and you know what his reason was? I was fearful I was fearful fear keeps us from being committed to God's promises. But folks, the whole point of this chapter is to tell us it's true. It's real. It's certain. Be convicted of it. Be convinced of it. And be committed to it. Be committed to it. You have a great cloud of witnesses all around you. And so there is a, there is a sense where you are walking through what God has given you and testing you with on your own. No one can take that step of faith on your account, can they? That's what God calls you to do. But you know what is true about all of this that we also forget about is that you are connected to a great community of saints, ancient and today, who also have their personal walks, but we are connected. And there is great comfort. And knowing the truths, that it is not just me in this, 
God's calling all his people. And if God called his forerunner, Jesus, to walk through the darkest valleys, to walk through the the deepest rivers, and I am to be identified with him, and Jesus Christ is victorious, then I can walk in the victory of Jesus. We have to be committed to God's promises. For by the elders obtain a good report. And finally, this morning, faith is content in God's promises. Now, when you hear the word content, maybe you think of being passive, you know, and laying in the hammock, content, right? And I don't know that that's necessarily the, the full picture of contentment in the Word of God. Is Contentment in the Word of God means I am secure. I am secure, and therefore I do what God has called me to do. Content in God's promises. Look at the last verse that we're going to look at here this morning, verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. <clears throat> Remember when Job was going through the fire? And his friends and him have all this dialogue for about 37 chapters or so. And then in the last few chapters, 38 through 42, God says, okay, my turn. And one of the questions God asked Job in Job's bewilderment of why he was facing these things was this. Job... Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Which is a rhetorical question. The answer is, I wasn't even a thought yet. (laughs) Of my parents, obviously a thought of God's. In other words, God did something huge there. He created the universe by his word. That's what this verse is telling us. Through faith you understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Remember those several times in Genesis 1 where he says, Let there be, and there was. He didn't get his hands dirty at all except to form man. Everything else he formed by the word of his power. And he upholds everything by the word of his power. Why is that significant? Because none of us were there. There was not a human created till day six, right? And they appear, uh, humanity appears to be the last thing created in Genesis chapters, chapter one. So that means the very first human being did not see any of that being created before his eyes. All we have is the word of God to tell us that it happened and this is how it happened. Why is that significant? Well, the writer says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The Spirit of God shows us truths that don't reach our senses. I cannot smell the truths of the Bible. I cannot see with my visible eyes truths of the Bible. I cannot hear with my visible ears the truths of the Bible. I can hear them being taught, but there's a difference there. I need spiritual ears. I need spiritual eyes. Spiritual breath. And one of the greatest promises of eternal life is promised to those who are spiritually dead before they're spiritually alive. 
we are assured of a happy resurrection, but we're involved in a life in a world that's full of corruption and decay. We are before God in justification, declared righteous, pronounced just, and yet, Paul says, sin is still dwelling in me. We are told that we are in Christ joyful, but we are in the middle of many miseries, aren't we? We in Romans chapter 8 at the end have promise of all good things to us. But still, we hunger and thirst. God proclaims that He will come quickly. But he can seem deaf when we cry to him. That's why we need faith. What would become of us if we did not have beneath the foundations of our life in Christ the pillars of hope? What would happen to us if the darkness of this world did not have the light of God's Word in His Spirit. And that's why faith is rightly said to be the substance of things to be hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There was a historical day when Jesus Christ died on the cross and crowds witnessed it. People witnessed Jesus' resurrection. As Jesus appeared. But God gives us the letters of the New Testament to explain what that means. These facts happen. Here's what that means for you. And those are the promises of God. You see, when faith is greater than fear, I don't fear losing things. When faith is exercised, I don't fear losing things. I become selfless. I don't fear loss. I give everything. See, Jesus and this band of ragtag followers that Jesus has created called His church. Jesus was not fragile. And His followers exercising faith in Jesus don't need to be fragile either. We don't need to be motivated by fear. How do we lose our reputation as the fearless ones in the book of Acts? And become people that are so fearful. The church of Jesus cowers in fear. Afraid to take risks for the gospel. Always worried about if I do this, then this could happen, or this could happen, or this could happen, which could result in this. But folks, that is not how the righteous ones of God are to think. We are to boldly advance in Jesus' name. Is following Christ worth it? Is it worth it? And if you answer affirmative to that question, is following Christ working in your life in the midst of the valleys? Is it worth it? You know what I find interesting? the names of the Roman rulers and the Gospels that had 
um, influence in Jesus' crucifixion are mentioned. Pilate, for one. Caesar Augustus, when um, uh, the census was, was out there when Jesus was born. The dictators and governments. Herods and the book of Acts, etc. And you know what all those are? They are footnotes in the story of God. Why? Because God has accomplished His work and He accomplishes His work by faithful men and women who exercise active faith. We have people that are being listed here that lost their lives for Jesus and received a great reward. How can, be we, how can we be fearful? It's kind of a come on <laughs> to us, this chapter. And you know what? The truth is, in our context today, as wonderful and as great as our nation is, one day America and all its presidents will be a footnote in history. But the kingdom of Jesus will never end.